This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to the Music to My Ears podcast, brought to you by BBC Music Magazine, the world's best-selling classical music monthly. This week, Reviews editor Michael Beek sits down with the Swedish concert pianist Peter Jablonski. Peter tells us all about his recent recording of Stanchinsky, Life as a Concert Pianist, Missing Teaching, Discovering the Music of Basevich, and Falling in Love with the Piano all over again during the pandemic. It's over a year now since I played my last, you would say, proper concert in front of an audience. Yeah. There have been a few, uh, you know, some little festivals still streaming mm-hmm. and things like that. So I've done a few streamed concerts, also in trio form with a couple of friends. So it's been wonderful to learn uh, some new chamber music repertoire. But it is a strange feeling to play a streamed concert, I have to say, to it walk out be. on a stage where, where there actually isn't an audience and... You know, it's just that lack of adrenaline, the backstage adrenaline, but it's, it's still something nice to do. So obviously a lot of free time and uh, a lot of it has gone to new repertoire, basically. You know, yeah. if, if you've been like I was uh, kind of lucky enough to, <laughs> to travel and play much in my life, the, the backside to that coin is the kind of lack of time mm-hmm. for composers and music that you've been maybe would like to explore more or, or program more, but you simply haven't had the time because your concert schedule wouldn't have allowed it. So yeah. that, that's been one of the pluses here. So I've had a lot of time with composers uh, and works that I haven't had well enough time to explore. So mm. of course I've played, learned a lot of new Chopin and Mozart and things, but also 
Grazina Batsevich and Ronald Stevenson and all, all sorts of music that uh, I've wanted to spend time with but never had. Yeah. So now there really wasn't an excuse not to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and was Stanchinsky one of those composers or, or was he a composer who you were familiar with and had played before this new recording? Well, I had become familiar with him kind of pre-COVID, if I could call it that, mm. but not much before. And of course, the COVID time ex- extended that that time to get to know him really properly. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, and I have to say this to my great shame, I considered myself relatively well versed in the you know the oceans of piano repertoire and also the lesser known piano repertoire. I, I really thought I had quite a good grasp on it. It turned out I didn't. I had never heard the name Alexei Stanchinsky until my partner pointed it out to me. She said, have you ever heard The Nocturne by Stanchinsky? And the answer was, no, I haven't not even heard of Stanchinsky. And after hearing The Nocturne and then getting to know uh, E-flat minor sonata and a few sketches, I was completely hooked. I really thought it was a great discovery. And it's a real shame that a composer of that kind of magnitude uh, isn't more well known. Yeah. And tell me, when when that's presented to you, how long does it take you to really get under the skin of a new composer and a new work? How long did it take for you to get that set of repertoire together for the recording? Um, the sonata I spent actually a couple of years with. Uh, mm. Of course, I first heard the nocturne, but I, I didn't really have time to sit down and, and practice it or start programming it in concerts because I had already concerts booked and trips to do where Stanchinsky wasn't in the program. So they took a time before you can start spending time. But the sonata I actually played in concert quite a few times before I decided to really dive deeper into his his oeuvre, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I must have spent a good year practicing the repertoire on this disc. Off and on, of course. It's, it's quite good to kind of push it and I leave it a little bit and then keep pushing. So, but I would say a good year. It's really a new world opened up. Do you remember your first time at a piano? Do you remember sitting at the piano and, and discovering it? Are you too young to remember? <laughs> uh, well, I started in music so early on. I actually mm. started as a drummer. Right. <laughs> I started playing jazz drums wow. when I was extremely young. Mm. And my father, a Polish jazz musician who came and settled in Sweden, he had his own quintet. So there was a lot of music at home being played on, on records. There was both classical and jazz. But... I don't know if I remember the actual first time at the piano. We had a really beat up old Swedish upright. I used to play drums on the piano, so with the drumsticks, which meant that I broke most of the keys. The the, the keys were (laughs) broken off. So I would have been around five or six the first time my father sat me down at the piano. And But uh, interest in the repertoire kind of deepened quickly when I started studying at the College of Music in Malmö. I was 11 years old and I had a Polish uh, piano teacher who had studied with Vlad Opelle Motel in Paris. And he had a very um, poetic way of talking about music that I think was very 
very good for me. We didn't speak so much about actual just technical problems or louder or, or softer. He, he spoke about colors and scents and, and things like that. I think that was good for me. So I would say around age 12, age 13, that's when I knew that the piano was what I Mm. I wanted to do, as opposed to be a drummer or a tennis player or something. <laughs> <laughs> and was there was there a piece of music that sort of helped you sort of you know fall in love with the piano? Oh goodness, uh, there have been so many pieces like that. Mm. I, I had some very strange favorites. I think the first one isn't strange. I mean, Brahms one had an in- enormous impact on me when I first heard it. I remember that. I can't have been much more than ten or eleven when I heard Brahms' first piano concerto. But I also was very, very into Dvorak's piano concerto, which is probably more unusual <laughs> for a young kid to be into. I also yeah. had a very nice recording of Tchaikovsky number no. 2. I liked really? that very much when I was younger as well, yeah. Wow. Do you remember who was playing that recording? Tchaikovsky 2? That was Yuri Bukov, an old green LP, I remember, with an orchestra from Paris. And so listening to that, were you able to sit at the piano and sort of pick it out or did you have to get the score and, and, and learn it sort of with, with the dots and the, the No, that, that Tchaikovsky too is something you have to learn with the dots, I'm afraid. <laughs> but that came quite a bit later. But yeah. yeah, it became one of my my kind of party pieces eventually. How many pianos do you have? I mean, do you do you have more than one in, in your home or do you, do you just have one special piano? <laughs> <laughs> There's one grand and three uprights in, yeah. in the house at the moment. Yeah. Wow. But th- there have been... A couple over the years that one stayed in London and one was sold in Sweden mm. before, but yeah, mm. it's always a very special relationship with your pianos. Yeah, you always want the better one, I suppose. You always, <laughs> you know, even in a concert hall, when you sit down and they have five or six to choose from, you always think when you're actually playing the concert that you chose the wrong one. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always. We don't have the luxury of spending all our time with one instrument and getting yeah. to know it. It's the the nightmare for the pianist. And obviously this is an unusual time, so it's maybe slightly different, but how much time do you normally spend at the keyboard? It depends. Now, during this, I what has been nice, I mean, one of the positives of what's going on uh, in the musical world for me at the moment, since there's no concert, is that I spend time with really things that I just want to spend time with and yeah. that I love. Just for the first time really in my life, since I was a child, to have time to explore and go deeper into repertoire as opposed to just getting you know Grieg back up and running for the next concert it sounds horrible of course it's not how it is it's a wonderful thing to travel and to be able to to do music like that as a profession as well but the modern career doesn't give you a lot of time to just sit around and and learn works that that you dream about so that that has been one of the pluses this um, hopefully, if this ever opens up, I come out quite a different pianist than when we went into the, the pandemic, repertoire-wise, for sure. Really, really. Mm. 
There's a lot of Haydn in my life now. There's a lot of Mozart for myself. And and I'm learning the complete piano works of Gorzina Batsevich, for instance. It's one of my new passions. And I intensely love her music. I've looked into, like I said earlier, a lot of the music by Ronald Stevenson. I Mm. think it's fantastically creative piano music in the old kind of (laughs) romantic Godowski tradition. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of... And more Scriabin, of course, and maybe more Stanchinsky in the future. We will see. Yeah. And are you still teaching? You te- you professor still at the Royal College? No, I'm not. No. no. It wasn't possible to to keep when I, I moved to Sweden uh, permanently and now after Brexit and things like that. So, yeah, no. Makes it difficult. Unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Do you miss that sort of interaction with with, with students and, and sort of yes, this? in a way I do. It became quite taxing because I, I was when I took the job I was very busy still performing. So it was yeah. always a very delicate balance, you mm, know, wanting to give your best for the students. On the other hand, you only have so much time to give. So yes, of course, it's a wonderful thing to spend time with a with a talented, uh, hungry, positive young pianist. And if you feel you really have something, you know, to give them to to open their ears or their eyes to a different way of listening or at least a different way of thinking about music, that's when it's really worthwhile. It's not so much about teaching the piano, it's more philosophizing about the art of piano playing. Of course. At least for me. Yeah. And then when you have it then when you when you have a a pupil that is really open to that and, and you mm. kind of really vi- vibrating on the same wavelengths like that it's very mm. very positive yeah mm. was it easy to spot you know really great talent so were you able of to course. sort of tune into it's them, basically, what they're going it's, to be it's immediate it's immediate yeah it's after a few notes you know it's just how they touch the piano as well you know mm. it's a real sensitivity to to things or not <laughs> of course <laughs> When, when you sit down at a, an unfamiliar piano, a new piano in a, in a venue, what, what's the first thing you, you play? Is there something you play to sort of get into it and get a sense <laughs> of the, how it works and how oh, it's going to feel? Well, just the basics. You, you need to test how it reacts, yeah. you know, on a, on a physical level, just how loud is the piano. So you, you, can, you can play the first chords of Tchaikovsky 1, for instance. It's quite a good tester to see what, <laughs> what, what it's about, you know, the, the sonorousness of the, of the piano. And then something more delicate, maybe a nocturne or a mazurka by Chopin. Mm. You have to test where the, where the pedal catches and not. This. Most pianos are completely different. You know, yeah. It could be half a millimeter this way or that way, and the passage can sound blurred or not blurred as a result. So there's a lot to get to learn. You know, you practice on one piano, your muscles get used to a certain way, and then you go and warm up on one piano, and then you perform on a third. It's... it's it's, it's a funny business being a concert pianist that way, for yeah. sure. I mean, some people say that there aren't bad pianists, they are only bad p- pianists. <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure that I would agree. That there are definitely pianos that can make your life more or less difficult, for sure. So it's very important that the piano is, is fantastic. And it's also a lot up to the sensitivity and the sensibility of the tuner, you know, of course. Of course. They, they can help you quite a bit. I imagine and you can you can understand why then some pianists do demand specific pianos for their performances or take uh, even their pianos with them. <laughs> I completely understand that, and I wish I was one of them. <laughs> Sally, it's not something you can put into a little case and carry onto the plane, is it? <laughs> not really. There are a few pianists still today. I think that kind of 
try to travel with their pianos as much as possible. Yeah. Of course, but it's it's not the same thing as putting your violin on on your back and going somewhere. That's for sure. No. But absolutely, in 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 certain works, in most works. But in certain works, a piano can actually work against you. Of course, I have played some pianos which basically makes everything impossible. Yeah. Or you sit down at an instrument that almost lets you do whatever whatever you want. Mm. I, I can't play string instruments. I don't know what it's like, but I have friends who, who play on really great instruments. And they just say it just gives you that little bit more possibility, <laughs> you know, yeah. of, for expression and for it not being perfect. But it will still sound fantastic. And it's the same with a really good piano. You you play a scale and it's even as opposed to not perfect, etc. things like that. That's, that can also be up to me, but it, it certainly helps having a great instrument. Makes it easier. Yeah, mm. Can you recall the, the most brilliant piano you've ever played? What's been the most amazing oh, for you? Oh, goodness. There's been well over a thousand concerts, so it's impossible to, to pick. But I remember the first time I went to Japan, mm. for sure. I was, you know, quite a young man. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to go back almost every year since I first went there in the early 90s. But... I remember first playing in Suntory Hall in Tokyo, a recital, and how they put four or five pianos on stage to choose from. And I remember them being on such a high level, all of them. They're not just that one stuck out and the rest were not so good and the other one was really old. They were all really fantastic and I found it impossible to to choose. And I spent the whole recital just thinking, oh no, I chose the wrong one. You know, <laughs> but I think I think every pianist feels like that. It's just our built-in insecurity or need to make up an excuse or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you have time to listen to music or do you, are you so focused on rehearsing and, and exploring new works that you don't listen? Uh, sometimes. Mm. But, but I mean, I, when I was younger and when I was a student, I did nothing but listen to music sure. all the time. I went mm. to concerts when I studied. I mean, I studied at the Royal College in the late 80s. London really was a hive of high-quality music-making. I remember going to recitals by Richter and by Michelangeli, and, you know, some of the the old legends today, they were not old legends, they were really in their prime still, yeah. so they were was, was swimming in cultural music. But, but, you know, the more busy you get in the travel, and you're just basically turning around the suitcase. Also, there's a, there's a big need to to have your own strong individual voice. And it's at least for the pieces that you perform in concert that you don't sit around and listen too much because it's it's very easy that you form an opinion that you can't get rid of. of you know, you have an opinion on a certain piece and you think it's your own. It's actually a mixture of this and that and this and that that you've heard, you know, for 25 years and you can't help being influenced by it. You just yeah. think that, oh, this is the kind of natural way to phrase it until you hear another really strong personality and you realize, no, there's actually something completely different. Mm. It's like some Chopin playing today, if you hear Alfred Cortot play Chopin, can be shocking, but maybe it's fantastic. Maybe that's actually closest to what Chopin would have liked, as opposed to quite, I don't want to use the word clinical, but quite the, you know, competition-winning kind of way of playing Chopin today. Who knows what really Chopin wanted? So one has to be as open and as uh, interested and as creative as possible yourself and try to find your own truth. But yeah. of course, I, I listen to music still, but not in that kind of purpose. 
Was there a, a, a live performance when you were younger in London that really stands out for you? Was there a, a performer that was just, you know, the, the top memory for you of a, of a concert experience? Oh, it's, again, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's so difficult to pick mm. one because I, I went to so many concerts. I was a huge fan back then of uh, the Hungarian pianist Zoltan Kocsis. And I remember hearing him several times. Yeah. Uh, Scholti had a Bartok series uh, at the South Bank. There was the three concertos with three different pianists. Uh, I think it, it would have been Kocsis, Schiff and Ranki playing one each. And I remember being at all the rehearsals and all the concerts. That was one of the highlights. I was very much into Bartok at, at that point. I still am, by mm. the way. I, I love Bartok. No, I, I heard so much. Yeah. I had Schubert cycles with with Brenda and goodness. I heard Marta Agerich play List One would have been in 88 or 89. You know, so there were lots of fantastic things going on. With your listening, are you, are you able? To, do you prefer to move away from classical with your own listening? Do you, do you listen to obviously more jazz or anything other than classical music? It depends. It, it's a, it's a mix. When you know the record goes on, it could be. It's quite a wide spectrum of music. There could be chicoria, things like that. Of mm. course. Yeah. Sadly, passed away recently. Of course. Of course. Mm. And do you have a, a sort of a go-to uh, piece or song or something if you just need to just relax or get in, just, you know, <laughs> cheer up or something? Is there something yeah. you just can put on? I, I probably will go to the piano myself at that yeah. point. You know, mm. I keep gravitating towards the mazurkas by Chopin, and I have gravitated towards them since I was very young. I don't know, I feel very close to them somehow. You can't say, of course, with a composer like Chopin, this is the best or this is that, but I certainly feel that it's some of his most personal music, for sure. So I just like sitting, playing through the mazurkas. They're also the kind of pieces you can kind of get away with sight reading, some of them, as opposed to the <laughs> And you talked a little bit about uh, Basovich, which is a sort of a, a recent, mm. let's say, discovery for you. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about about discovering her music. Would you say you're sort of a little bit obsessed with that at the moment? Is that a sort I of, have? Be, I'm starting to become obsessed. Yeah. yeah, partly because I'm irritated with myself that I don't know more about it. I I thought I knew. I've I played a lot of Polish music mm. over the years, and I've worked with uh, Polish composers even now living, and I I really felt that I knew. Of course, I had. I had heard her name, but I hadn't, you know, taken the time to 
I knew she was a fantastic violinist and that she wrote a lot of music for string instruments. What I didn't know that was she's apparently a great pianist as well. I mean, she would have performed her second piano sonata, which is no mean feat. It's You have to be a serious pianist to play that well. So it was actually the, the second piano sonata that got me into her piano music. And now I'm, I'm basically learning all of it. So I'm hoping to maybe start recording some of her things in not too distant future. <laughs> I'm even even kind of involved in working on an edition for the first piano sonata, yeah. which hasn't been uh, published yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm speaking to the publishers in Poland and we're looking at the, her handwritten manuscripts and things like that that might be an edition of the first piano sonata coming out. So I'm more and more involved in her piano music, yes. interesting that you said that you know during this this lockdown this this pandemic time you're actually maybe going to come out of it a slightly different performer or different pianist mm. i wonder if that's going to be the same for other musicians and whether actually the the landscape is just going to change uh, or shift as we who knows but it's a very period. interesting thought i mean i i can't see that there are many uh, performers who love their art who did not take this opportunity of course, you know, being irritated and upset and panicking about your careers, that's something we're all kind of been doing. But then going back to it and enjoying why we do it in the first place, you know, why did you pick it up as a kid? I mean, I did it because I I love music and I can't be without it. And then, of course, if you're lucky enough for it to well, become what they call a career, then somehow the time to just to be with your music and to love it and to explore and really just put things aside and to practice and put it aside and think about it. There's less and less of that time when you have the kind of career you dreamt of, you know? So now at least I'm back at the stage of re-falling in love with the piano and and with some of the repertoire and new repertoire and finding, you know, learned uh, and even recorded the piano sonata by Anton Rubinstein. Lately. I mean, I, it's a composer I completely dismissed out of hand. Mm. Why? I don't know. I didn't really know his music. It's just he has a little bit of a bad rap somehow. But if you listen to his first piano sonata, he was a, as a teenager when he wrote it. It's absolutely worth hearing, wow, you know, okay. absolutely worth hearing. So trying to be a little bit more open-minded as well myself because it's, it's quite easy to be a little bit closed mm. you know you decide oh this is great repertoire these are great recordings and, mm, sure but there are many things out there for sure do you think there's there's too much focus on the great repertoire and that we are just really forgetting to explore and um, so are we are we too wound up in in bound up in in, in the great composers do you think difficult difficult to say i mm. think I was probably, yes, without questioning why. Of course, Rachmaninoff is phenomenal, and Tchaikovsky and Skriabin and Prokofiev, etc. But there are other composers as well, you know, absolutely worth a a look in. Uh, And that's what what I have 
at least discovered and decided to do from now on, be a little bit more open-minded. And, and take me back to, again, sort of to, to your, your younger years. You obviously now you've got this career. What what were your sort of ambitions when you were younger? Were you were you did you have this in mind? This 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 career that you're on was that always a kind of a, a, an aim for you, or has it just sort of evolved? You know, to be honest, I didn't at all, at mm. all. Uh, I had many interests when I was younger. I suppose there was there was some kind of a talent for music. I, I suppose you know. I don't like talking about myself, but I have to probably admit that there was some kind of underlying talent there, especially for for playing the drums. I, I was quite talented at that. Mm. And then when I you know discovered the piano, it was <laughs> progress was relatively quick. I went from little exercises to little sonatinas to sonatas to Chopin's second concerto within a couple of years. Yeah. So there, there, were, there would have been some underlying affinity. But I, <laughs> you know, I loved playing tennis. I was district champion of doubles in my region, and I, I could have seen myself as a new Bjornborg or something. Of course, I wasn't good enough, but I wouldn't have minded at, at that age. Uh, and then uh, during my final year at the Royal College, then I, I was heard or somebody sent a tape to Ashkenazi mm-hmm. and he listened and he basically invited him to conduct my debut recording for Decca. Wow. And then, you know, agents followed. And so, so basically I, I was planning to take part in the 1990 Tchaikovsky competition. Mm. Uh, I, I never had to. So I'm one of those, I suppose lucky ones that didn't have to go the competition route of course i did a few little competitions kind of local things when i was younger we all do yeah but i never had to go out on that limb which is you know it's the worst way of finding talent apart from all the other ones that's yeah. that's, that's the famous thing you know Sometimes you find fantastic talents and sometimes fantastic talents disappear somewhere in an early round because their personality sticks out too much. Mm, you know, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lottery uh, competition. Mm. It's very fascinating. And tell me about that, that first recording session. And how, when you entered into that, that session, what were you... Were you shocking. Were you, absolutely you shocking. Uh, yes, a mixture of, of, of elation and, and being completely terrified. I mean... Ashkenazi was one of my heroes. When I made my debut with an orchestra, um, I would have been 11 or 12 years old back in Sweden with a little local orchestra. And I learned mm-hmm. the concerto was Mozart G major by playing along to Ashkenazi's recording with the Philharmonia. And when I told him later, I said, oh, no, you shouldn't have done that. That's not a very good one. <laughs> of course, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> but so, so, of course, I idolized him. We had lots of his LPs at home. So to actually show up at Walthamstow Town Hall and the, the DECA bus was there, the RPO bus, and it's, it's for me. Everybody's there. And I'm basically still in college. You know, I haven't even thought of a career, and suddenly these things are exploding around you. So yeah, it, was, it, was, it was quite a thing. <laughs> mm, I bet, I bet. They often say never meet your heroes, but or your idols. I mean, how, did he live up to your expectations? He's a wonderful. He was a wonderfully warm human being to me. Mm. Absolutely. I, I can't say that that I got to spend a lot of private time with him, of course. But we, I, we would have done at least uh, some twenty concerts or so with with several different orchestras around the world together, and you know, a few meals and a few walks here and there. And he was always 
very warm and very supportive of me and as somebody one could always talk very interestingly about music too for sure also being a great pianist he he, he always you know followed you never had to think that sometimes you know when you're a young soloist you sit down and you think it's going to be automatic with any conductor it's absolutely not going to be automatic so there have been a few horror stories like that for sure Mm-hmm. And obviously your uh, recording with Ondine, mm. uh, which is uh, you know a, a great start with the Strelvin and now the the, the Stanchinsky. Where where is it going next? What can we look forward to? I think the next will be Batsevich. At least one disc. I know there's an orchestra disc being planned further down the line, the piano concerto and the double concerto as well. So she's very under recorded. So we'll see how many of discs of hers will do. Uh, at the moment, uh, I am interested in finding repertoire that that I haven't been associated with, you know, too much in the past years. It's very easy to put, especially a young pianist in a box. That's you know how the world works. Ah, oh, he's Scandinavian. He will play Grieg, <laughs> and yeah. sure, it's served me well. But there are other things I want to do too. I, I think I've played the Grieg concerto well over a hundred times by now. And there are a few concertos that I've played probably around a hundred mm. times. So now it's time to do other things. Mm, great, great. And I, this idea of being put in a box is very interesting. I mean, do you, did you have any say in that? Or was it kind of, were the, did you have to just sort of go along yeah, with it? Basically. To, well, make, now, make now you realise what you should have done all along. But th- that's easy in hindsight <laughs> than when you're at my kind of age, yeah. you know. But when you're 19 or 20, years old and you're picked up by a major record label and you have big agents everywhere you basically don't really think yes you love Chopin yes you love Mozart and yes you will play it you know you say yes or you say no but mostly you say yes you know because that's basically what is expected of you Uh, of course wonderful but not always you know basically you need to have the kind of knowledge and ideally your agents should care about you or know about you that Beethoven 3 is yours, but Beethoven 4 not. That's the kind of knowledge you need to have of your repertoire, you know, really. You can't just, oh, I'm going to do everything by this, everything by that. Which is, as a young pianist, something you really want to do. You can, oh, want to climb Mount Everest all the time, personally, you want to do that. But you really need to play to your strengths as well. And it takes time, you know. It's not necessarily something that you're ready to put down a final thought on a major masterpiece when you're 21 years old. And you shouldn't really be asked to either, but that's just how the, how the market works. <laughs> this is something you should be doing when you have been around for a while. And so do you think you'll return to some of those works? We will see. On? We will see. Uh, mm. There's probably a few things I did in the past I would like to redo at some point. But the, on the other hand, there's so much phenomenal repertoire out there. So... Let, let, let's see let's see yeah. at the moment i'm enjoying swimming in in new oceans repertoire wise <laughs> <laughs> well that's great it's, it's 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 certainly uh bearing fruit so far enjoying the stanchinsky very, oh, very thank much. you it's it's such creative music i think and it deserves to be heard for sure it deserves to be heard mm. and if you think that he only had basically a 10-year creative span then yeah. makes you realize, you know, you're listening to the music of an 18-year-old or a 21-year-old, and then suddenly, wow, there was a distinct individual talent there. And a shame it didn't have more time to bloom. Mm. 
Uh, well, Peter, thank you so much for chatting. It's been uh, been really great to talk to you and really interesting to hear about your your current sort of, you know, obsession with yeah. best pitch. I think that's going to be uh, an interesting uh, next few few months yes. and years ahead for us listeners. Um, it's a Tuesday morning what are you, or afternoon. What are you going to do for the rest of the day? Do you, do you go straight to the piano? Now? I what, think, what yes, I haven't, I haven't practiced yet today and I start to feel the urge. It's probably going to pick another piece by <laughs> Batsevich or play through another Chopin mazurka. <laughs> That was pianist Peter Jablonski on Life as a Concert Pianist. His recent recording of Piano Works by Stanchinsky is out now on Ondine. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're available in print and various digital formats across the world. Or you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Thank you to Acast for hosting us and to our producer, Jack Bateman. 